So you drafted a fantasy football team. Big deal. Ooh, Ooh wow. Oh. Good job. Drafting is only half the battle. A month from now, you're going to wake up, check your team, and see that your three best players are hurt. Now what? You need to play the waivers, make trades, know who to start. And that's what we're here for. We're coming to you four times a week during the regular season to give you everything you need to win your league and dominate your group chat. Search for the Ringer Fantasy Football Show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast and subscribe. It's the Full Goal presented by FanDuel. The second half of the NBA season is here, and you can bet on the action with an assist from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filtered by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every, that's right, every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, the official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit theringer.com slash RG to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit theringer.com slash RG. This episode is brought to you by UGG. Y'all know UGG is a brand that athletes wear all the time in the tunnel and on travel days. Well, I bet you think UGG season is only during the colder months of the year. Au contraire. You're wrong. You need to check out the latest spring drop from UGG. They have everything from sandals to clogs. I like the sandals. UGG has you covered for your next spring adventure. Shop the Golden Collection at UGG.com. Chicago everywhere. Check it. What up, world? You're listening to The Full Gold with Jason Golf, presented by The Ringer, a Spotify original. Yeah. Welcome into episode seven of the Full Go Podcast right here on The Ringer and Spotify. I'm Jason Goff as always. And man, let me tell you something right now, White Sox fans. You have the full right to chirp, tweet, uh, uh, Instagram, Facebook, in person, yell at people, do whatever you need to do. Because the White Sox, I would say now for what, the fifth time since I've been watching baseball as a 40-year-old, are Central Division champions. That's right. 1993, 2000. Back in 93, it was the AL West, by the way. 1993, 2000, 2005, 2008, and now in 2021. White Sox fans, you are looking at a Central Division championship team and a team who's got high hopes more so than just division championships. And if you watch the game like we watched it, and we're, we're recording shortly after the game just wrapped up, but if you watch the game like we watched it, it was a very business-like celebration. Guys high-fived in a normal uh, win line, whatever they call it nowadays, a little little hand handshake line that they do. Tony LaRusso at the end getting a couple of hugs from the guys. But this is what it was supposed to feel like, what it should feel like going forward. This team is built for the long haul. All of their young players seemingly are signed up, and the guys that they need to sign are having good enough seasons that you, that it's going to be a real question if they do come back. I, I for one, want to say this about Jose Abreu. You know, we don't even have to get into what happened in the game against Cleveland Indies. I, I turned the game on. Next thing you know, there was a seven spot put up there, and then Ronaldo Lopez couldn't get out the fourth, and it was, you know, Garrett Crochet comes in, and then Liam Hendricks comes in at the end, cursing and throwing, you know, 95 mile an hour chest high fastballs. I mean, it was it was fun to watch from beginning to end in a 
damp, dreary, dark day in Cleveland where, let's face it, how many other days are not like that when in Cleveland? Shout out to Cleveland, by the way. I had actually a good time there when I covered the uh, Cubs-Indians World Series. But this Chicago White Sox team has been trending and brewing this thing up for the last two or three years, right? When when people ask me, when are your White Sox going to get back to, uh, you know, relevance? Well, 2020 is what I said. I kept saying here locally and anytime I got a national microphone, 2020 was the year that this thing should be put in full gear. And I'll be damned if there wasn't a pandemic, but it didn't stop this thing. And, and the reason why I want to mention Jose Abreu, there have been a lot of great players uh, in White Sox history. A ton of them, right? Many Minoso. You got Frank Thomas. I mean, you got you got Rob Ventura. All the guys actually that I kind of grew up with in the early '90s, who I consider great players, even if nobody else does. Obviously, you could consider Frank Thomas a great player, but on and on and on. And then you go to the old five team where Jermaine Dye and Joe Creedy and Paul Konerko and all those dudes. Jose Abreu has not only been one of the greatest Sox hitters of all time but the BS that this dude has had to see go through experience and then come out on the other side wins the MVP last year still one of the more feared hitters in all of Major League Baseball and on top of it the dude has gone through you know being questioned in terms of is this dude too old do we need to move him along here is he gonna is he gonna impede the youth movement and then Yoan Moncada and a whole bunch of people join the team and they, they say wait a minute we look up to Jose Abreu and on top of it he can still play baseball and you look at this year his numbers are still top notch so a guy like Jose Abreu who has represented the struggle not only of White Sox fans but baseball in general it's an imperfect sport where if you go three for ten like they say your entire career you're in the Hall of Fame but you're gonna fail seven out of ten times this dude has seen his fair share of failure not just not personally by the way but team wise and for him to be a part of this at the end here and the biggest hug that he gave to Tony La Russa you saw it yesterday you saw it yesterday Zoraida Samblin uh who former um you know TV personality and, and news personality here in Chicago had the video of Tony La Russa getting a giant bear hug from Jose Abreu either the night before or two days before just hanging out, I believe, in a suite or something like that or at a restaurant, and a giant bear hug to Tony La Russa, a guy who when he came on, I questioned, not just because of the, the age and youth and swag of this team, but also him being away from the game for so long and on top of it, some of the things that Tony La Russa has said over the last four or five years that I just thought didn't think would mesh with this White Sox attitude and swagger and, and newness that we're seeing. But, man, if, if Jose Abreu isn't a dude you can get around and say, this is what White Sox baseball is, I don't know what to say anymore. Like, this team is not only built for now, it's built for the future. They're young. They're exciting. This is the brand of baseball that I don't, I don't think people – uh, respect or appreciate enough. I know they do here in the city of Chicago, but to have a, a prominent African-American baseball player in your city is few and far between these days. And Tim Anderson not only is the face of the White Sox, but he's damn near became the face of baseball a couple of years back with the bat flip. And then you go to the Field of Dreams game and he's hitting the ball out like the natural and you see in the fireworks. This season has been kissed by not only talent, but Good enough luck because they've had their share of bad luck with the injuries all throughout this year. And this team healthy is going to be a different beast. Got to get Eloy Jimenez back on track. He hit a home run today. Uh, Luis Robert hit, a, hit another home run 
today. He's actually, I think, figuring out the game a lot better than he did, not just last year, but at the beginning of this year before he got hurt. Those tools added with that, that, that understanding of how people are trying to pitch him and how other pitching staffs are trying to go at him. I think this thing is coming together not just nicely, but sustainable, sustainable success is what you need in baseball. Bites at the apple. We saw it with the Cubs and, and, and Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer with the group that they put together, and they thought they would contend for six, seven, eight years to come. We also understand that it's not it's not always going to be like that. Guys get paid. Guys get fat and lazy and happy and, and content. Hopefully that doesn't happen with this White Sox squad. But today is not the day to worry about that. Today is the day to celebrate not just this game, but for me, for me, not just the division championship clinching game, for me, 13 years ago, ladies and gentlemen, I will tell you a story about what happened to me at the blackout game. And I was with my partners, Herb Lawrence and, and Matt Weber and Matt Peebles and a couple of other dudes. I believe Tannehill was with us as well. I'm not sure, Saruti, but there's a bar named Kincaid's. And I don't know if you know about the, the blackout game or what it represented for Chicago White Sox fans, but it was a one to nothing tiebreaker uh, game against the Minnesota Twins. It was, it was filled with all kinds of excitement and a playoff atmosphere because it was the game to go to the playoffs, right? Michael Kadiah running into A.J. Pierzynski and Pierzynski holding the ball high like, yeah, I got you. And being the jerk that we've all come to know and love when it comes to A.J. Pierzynski, uh, you know, Brian Anderson uh, clinching that thing with a diving catch as the final out to send the White Sox to the playoffs. And, of course, how could we forget the moment? Jim Tomey in a blackout game in one of the greatest pictures and the greatest scenes, I think, in Chicago sports history, winning a one nothing game with a bomb, right? A, an absolute moonshot of a home run. I sat there in Kincaid's uh, on pins and needles, biting whatever nails I had off the entire game. You know, I, I'm, a, I, I'm more than a casual baseball fan, but I'm not one of these guys who thinks I'm smarter than the rest of everybody out there watching baseball. I learn something new every time I watch baseball, and I'm blessed to have people in this city like Lynn Casper, like Steve Stone, like Ozzie Guillen, you know, now Gordon Beckham, dudes who are – telling me and teaching me the game in a way that I can digest it, right? And I, and I feel like I learn something new every single week or every single time I listen to those guys speak. But I'm watching this game with my partners. The entire bar is filled with White Sox fans, uh, and it was up north. So it was, you know, it's a different vibe, right? Jim Tomey hits the home run in the seventh inning. And we're all standing there. And I, I just happen to be in certain moments. This happens, you know, and all the brothers and sisters can attest to this. Every once in a while, you're the only brother or sister in the room. And I, 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 it was me and Herb Lawrence, so it was at least two of us in the room. My buddy Herbie, who's a, a producer and, and talent over there at The Score locally right now. We're in this space, and we are having a great time. But we're also nervous as hell. And Jim Tomey hits the home run. And when I tell you the place went up, beer went flying everywhere. Not for my cup, but beer went flying everywhere. People are standing on top of tables. People are standing on top of booths. Let's go White Sox breaks out. And all of a sudden, I hear from across the bar a security dude say, Hey, you, 
get the hell down. And I'm like, whoa, what? what's going on here? I wasn't the only person standing on, on the booth. You know, I wasn't the only person who was drenched in beer. Hell, I know how much them beers cost at Kincaid's. I'm about to throw a beer. Like, if you ever see beers being thrown at a game, that uh, shout out to all my white folks out there, but that is white people behavior. Brothers know how much them damn beers cost, and we know we ain't spilling a drop, nevertheless throwing it on somebody. So I, I more than likely set my beer down because I knew I wanted to finish my beer. It's probably the third or fourth of the game. I got kicked out of Kincaid's during the blackout game. Not at the end of the blackout game because the home run, if I'm not mistaken, happened in the seventh and I got kicked out of Kincaid's during the blackout game. So I really didn't even get the chance to celebrate the last division clinching game for the Chicago White Sox against the Minnesota Twins. So damn it, what I'm about to do right now is I'm about to take my dog for a little bit of a walk. I'm about to enjoy the beer that I should have enjoyed in 2008. I'm going to enjoy it in 2021 because guess what? I'm a White Sox fan and no matter what's happened before or what's going to happen in the future, Today is a day that has only happened five or six times in my lifetime, and I'm going to enjoy the hell out of it right here. All right, as we get ready to enjoy this beer, as I walk with my dog, <laughs> Lulu, get ready to enjoy whatever it is the hell you drink, whether it's water or, you know, whatever's on the ground outside during our walks. You're going to enjoy this college football and this NFL football that we're about to get into as well with our buddy Jim Miller right here on the Full Goal Podcast. It's the Full Goal This episode is brought to you by UGG. Y'all know UGG is a brand that athletes wear all the time in the tunnel and on travel days. Well, I bet you think UGG season is only during the colder months of the year. Oh, contraire. You're wrong. You need to check out the latest spring drop from UGG. They have everything from sandals to clogs. I like the sandals. UGG has you covered for your next spring adventure. Shop the Golden Collection at UGG.com. Bears talk with Jason Goff on the full goal. And the kick is good for the win. Fade to black. Brought to you by The Ringer, a Spotify original. This next voice and face that you all have come to know and love, ladies and gentlemen, if you are a Chicago Bears fan, you, you'll harken back to 2001 when he was finding Fred Baxter in the corner of end zones for, for game-winning drives. I believe five comeback victories, five come-from-behind victories in 2001 led by this man after Cade McNown was jettisoned from the Chicago Bears franchise. You can also hear him now on SiriusXM Channel 88. Uh, moving the chains, him and Pat Kerwin doing their thing, uh, 2 to 6 p.m. Is that Central or Eastern, Jim? Uh, that's Central time. Yep, Central 2 to 6 time. Central. Ladies and gentlemen, joining the Full Go podcast on The Ringer and Spotify with Jason Goff, it is Jim Miller. To help me make sense of all of the Justin Fields, Andy Dalton quarterback controversy and nonsense, uh, this is also full disclosure. Jim does the preseason games here with our guy Adam Amin, who we had a couple a couple of podcasts ago. Uh, he does the preseason games for the Chicago Bears here locally as well. So we get a, we get a chance to, to chop it up with a guy who is not only close to the situation but understands quarterbacking. Jim, thank you so much for joining joining us. I just want to get right to it, man. Justin Fields is going to get his first start here week three against the Cleveland Browns, that Browns defense. I can't imagine your first start lining up against Miles Garrett and Jadavion Clowney, sometimes on opposite sides, sometimes on the same side with the way they move that defense around. Um, what is a defensive coordinator trying to do when they see a young guy in there for the first time knowing the defensive firepower he has with Miles Garrett and Jadavion Clowney and the rest of those boys? 
Yeah. Well, one, Jason, thanks for having me. Good to talk to you again and be with uh, on your podcast here. Uh, yeah, I think, you know, he's going to be tested. I think any young quarterback, especially for, for Justin, because if you remember in that second preseason game, he got earholed by Andre Smith, the linebacker from uh, from Buffalo. And because he didn't recognize basically it was a sandbacker blitz. All right. He didn't recognize it. Should have thrown the hot. Thus, you're going to pay the price. You're going to get blown up. And so I noticed even last week in the game where he came in, one, he handles himself very well. I think he's a very cool, calm uh, player. But they blitzed the Sam while well, they substituted in a dime backer. But essentially, it's the same blitz. Right. They blitzed a, a Sam backer, but it was a dime blitz. He sight adjusted. So he had learned from that mistake. But if you go in that same series, they then blitzed a, a weak side linebacker blitz that he missed. And so I think they're going to find out they're going to poke and prod and see, hey, what does he know? What doesn't he know in terms of the pass protections and how to pick things up? And, you know, that'll be dictated as the game goes along, just how aggressive the defensive coordinator of uh, Cleveland wants to be. You know, when Andy Dalton went out with his injury, about it was 9 of 11, 56 yards, moving the ball, touchdown drive. He goes out with the, the, the injury to the knee and Justin comes in. And I'm thinking to myself, get him out on that perimeter, roll him out, cut that field in half, let him let him have a you know an intermediate, a short, and a long look, maybe just an intermediate and a short look. Uh, didn't see a lot of that, you know. We saw we saw the two turnovers, we saw the two false starts, him rocking back, waiting for that that snap. What are some of the nuances and some of the intricacies, not just of the quarterback position, but what is Matt Nagy going to have to do this week to make sure that Justin Fields one isn't overwhelmed? Because like you mentioned, I don't think a kid gets overwhelmed too often. But on top of it, making sure that the best is being put out there on tape for this dude to go back, even if it's a loss, even if it's a loss against the Cleveland Browns, making sure that this practice week you get, okay, this is what we did well. This is what we can evaluate and critique and come back to the lab with. Yeah, I think you really got to go back. I mean, the plays that I've seen them inserted on, you've seen some RPO stuff. So I think you're going to incorporate more of that, the RPO stuff, because that's some stuff that he did at Ohio State. He feels very comfortable in doing that. I think he feels very good at the long ball. You know, we saw him hit a couple long balls in the preseason and, you know, Allen Robinson, it would have been a tough catch, but, you know, technically I think he should have his first touchdown, uh, you know, as as a quarterback. So I, I do think you're going to see some shots on the outside. I'm with you with the bootleg game, you know, get him on the run, put his uh, legs as a threat when you get to the edge of the corner. Cause I think it was even, I think it was that same Buffalo game that the, the defensive back got caught in a catch-22. Hey, do I stay back and guard the defender or the receiver, or do I run up and try and uh, cover uh, and tackle Justin Fields? I think you can put pre- pressure on the uh, edge players of Cleveland if you get them on the move in that capacity. And it doesn't have to be under center. You can still run bootleg and stuff from the shotgun. It's just in an RPO look that now you're bootlegging off of it. So I think all those things are going to be imperative. And I brought up yesterday – I think Cleveland is going to go more single high safety for that very reason. I think David Montgomery is running the ball well. The the Bears were much more dedicated, I thought, last week and were more consistent in doing it. Not that they weren't against the Rams because I thought they ran it well versus the Rams too. But they'll go single safety, one, because of David Montgomery and for those reasons. They're going to want another athlete like Harrison, their strong safety to really chase down and corral Justin Fields is what I think for more of a assignment football. So I think he'll get a lot of single high safety looks.
Jim, the the way quarterbacks have been handled since you came into the league to today is different, right? Like, right. I remember a time where guys wouldn't be thrown in there, and now you're seeing guys get drafted and thrown in there. Of course, it's a case-by-case basis, but how in this league do you kind of rationalize, okay, I know this kid is going to make mistakes, but he got to get him out of the way. Like, Trevor Lawrence throwing three or four picks in his first couple of games as opposed to Zach Wilson throwing three in a, in a half uh, against the Patriots last week. How, what's good tape? What's bad tape? What's crushing your confidence as opposed to, all right, this is what we can't do anymore. How do you kind of ride that wave as not just an offensive coordinator but a head coach and an organization who's put a lot of stock into a guy? Not yeah. just Justin Fields but young quarterbacks around the league. Yeah, I mean, typically you do want to – everybody's different in how they learn, number one, and what they can be exposed to and what you're asking them to do. But I do think, you know, you still want to be patient and not put a guy out there until he's ready. You know, Tua is obviously the most recent example because they had Fitzpatrick there, and he even admitted uh, here this past offseason that he wasn't ready. He didn't know the playbook enough and uh, hadn't worked hard enough, And but he was thrust in there because that is – kind of what's what's happening now currently I think if you've got a veteran team I'd feel comfortable putting a young guy out there meaning you can protect him from certain things uh you know if you got a good offensive line veteran receivers that can really help and and bring a, a young guy along uh like to me Zach Wilson he doesn't have that around him you know he doesn't have he doesn't have a mentee uh, a mentor quarterback in the room yeah. they lost Greg Knapp uh, who passed away granted they just signed Matt Cavanaugh but to me he's in probably the worst situation where he is just not insulated the way he needs to be insulated the bears uh you know and, and I think you bring up a good point because sometimes when young guys are in there it's just by happenstance you know because look at Tyrod Taylor you know if, if he never if he doesn't get that shot is Justin Herbert having the year that he had last year Right. It happened with Ben Roethlisberger, you know, uh, Tommy Maddox goes down, big Ben's thrust in there. And then lo and behold, he, he plays well, but you got to really protect him with the play calling, have good veterans around him, And I think you can bring him along the right way. Yeah. They're still going to make their share of mistakes. I mean, Peyton Manning, when he came out of Tennessee, he was probably considered the most pro ready quarterback. He led the league in picks. I mean, it right. wasn't until like week nine or week 10, where he started to turn the corner and really learn from those mistakes, but they're all going to make those mistakes. There's no doubt. So now that we're in the, in the mode of you got to be able to use your legs in the NFL, you got to be able to get out there and put pressure on, on the perimeter of defenses. You, you know, you can do a whole bunch of stuff with your jet sweeps and you, you, you know, your, your RPOs. But in the end, if a guy can make plays on the perimeter and Aaron Rodgers, I mean, I, yeah. I Aaron Rodgers, John Elway, Dan Marino, those are the guys that I think of, and obviously not Dan Marino, but guys who just their arm talent alone can beat you, but Aaron Rodgers and John Elway had that extra little bit. Yeah. And then we started talking about the mobile quarterbacks and Randall Cunningham's of the world, the Steve Young's of the world, and then Michael Vick came, came through and blew it all away like this dude's running a 4-2 at that position. Now we've got Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes and obviously Russell Wilson, who's an MVP candidate every year, Aaron Rodgers. What do you see? as the next evolution of the quarterback position? Or is there is there anywhere else you can go if you're threatening people with both your legs and your arm? Yeah. No, I think this is a new era of football. I mean, I think at some point, you know, it may cycle back because I think everything is – you know, it's so spread out and you're trying to, to defend every blade of grass for that very reason, because teams are just getting spread out. So you need speedy guys on defense to cover guys in space. I think the one thing where 
why it's really hurting defenses is a lot of guys just can't tackle in space anymore. You know, mm-hmm. this, there's they're only one day a week in pads, so it's tough to corral great athletes like a Lamar Jackson because he's just so elusive. I mean, I saw even Kansas or what's it Kansas City? No, it's a week prior when they were playing the Raiders. It was a too high look, and they had a mush rush. What a mush rush is keep Lamar in the pocket is what it is. You literally, as a D lineman, you only go one yard uh, upfield into the backfield to keep him in there and force him to throw. It was a cover too high. And Lamar knew they didn't have an extra man in the box because they were two high safeties. So he still found a crease to get through that mush rush. And the the Raiders uh, D line, they were looking at like, how the hell did this guy just do that? I mean, (laughs) he's just, he's that special of a player. And that's, like you said, John Elway was that way. I think Josh Allen is that way. He's just such a freakish athlete. Mahomes is that way. Uh, Lamar, like I, like I mentioned, you're you're seeing these just pure athletes playing the position now of quarterback when it used to be, hey, just big, strong-armed guys dropping back, sitting in the pocket, and now that's not the case. Your best athletes are literally at the quarterback position. I brought up 01 because I, I had a lot of fun with that season as a Bears fan. You know, there have only been about five or six seasons that I've had a lot of fun with as a Bears <laughs> fan. And you, you were a quarterback in one of those seasons. Quarterbacking in Chicago. And you, you've been in this area for a long time. You know, Big Ten dude. You, you still comment on the games on Fox on Sunday nights. Uh, the pressures that are inherent and also the rewards that come with when, you, you know, not just the expectations and the hope, but when that hope and promise is fulfilled. Can you explain what kind of animal it is to be the quarterback of the Chicago Bears or even be around it and observe what the newer quarterbacks have have had to go through, the Jay Cutlers of the world and now Justin Fields? Um, Because we talk a lot about New York and we talk about the glitz and glamour of L.A. and being the quarterback in L.A., but for people who aren't privy, what is it like being the quarterback of the Chicago Bears? Well, I think you you can't have thin skin. you got to be mentally tough. You know, not everybody's going to like you. Not everybody's going to like you as a player. Not everybody's going to like you as a as a person. But I think if you're genuine, you're tough, you work hard, and I think people respect that. You know, and I think fans, you can't be uh, phony to the to the fans. I think Bears fans are too smart for that. You know, I I always uh, you know when I was covering the Bears, well, I still am, but I always asked all the quarterbacks, do you understand what you're getting into? meaning the media market and, you know, how tough the, the fans' response can be. And I don't think they, they ever recognize it. I recently saw that Jay Cutler came out and said, yeah, he said he thought the fans kind of vilified him in Chicago. Uh, uh, Rex Grossman felt the same way. Um, you can't be that way. It's not, it can't be a combative relationship. If you, if you throw a pick, you just say, Hey man, I, I, I made a boneheaded play or I made a bad read. You know, you just own up to it. You go to work the next day and you play your ass off. And I think people respect that. And I prepared myself uh, accordingly every single week, you know, it's just unfortunate injuries happen and things like that. But I respected the fans in Chicago because you can never get away from it. You know, I used to love when driving down the highway, you see a Bears sticker on a car or you pull up at the mall and somebody's got their Bears hat on or their or their Bears coat. And it's it's in front of your face every day, uh, the the passion of the fans and uh, the expectation that they had. So you got to deliver it. That's yeah. all you got to do. And that's how they respect it. You deliver it. 
Yeah, no doubt about it. Jim, I, I know you got to get ready for your show. I appreciate you. John. And, by the way, your alma mater's playing football again. They, they went out there and beat that basketball school in Miami. And, and it felt like Mel Tucker and the boys scored 30 points all year last year. They put up a 30-burger on Miami in Miami. So congratulations that your, your school's back to playing football again. Yeah, I'm actually going to go to the Nebraska game on Saturday night. Another uh, win? Yeah, a couple of my buddies are coaches on the staff. Courtney Hawkins, he's a tremendous okay. receiver's coach, but Mel Tucker's recruiting hard, and like you said, he's, he's that's Spartan football. Hard, tough nose, and uh, he's got him balling right now. And he's wearing shorts on the sideline. Which, you know, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's Jim Miller special right there. <laughs> hey, Jim. man. Whatever, if he if he's uh, that superstitious, keep on rolling, brother. Right, 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 right. Jim, thank you so much, man. I appreciate your time. Always good to see you. Always even better to talk to you, brother. You too. Good to be with you. Time for some commercials. There's a lot that could impress you about the all-new Honda Prologue EV. True, it's got class-leading passenger space and clean, thoughtful design and intuitive technology. But what really sets the Prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more. Hey guys, this is Ozzy Guille, and you are listening to the full go with Jason Goff on the Ringer in a Spotify. Adam Kramer, you can find him at Kegs and Eggs on Twitter. And of course, he's writing and gambling and doing all the college football talk for VSIN Live. And of course, Bleach Report and the Game Day NFL. And he's also on the No Punts Allowed podcast. Appreciate you for jumping on the full go, my man. Always good to see you. Always good to talk to you. Uh, you are my college go to because I, I never really know how I feel. Uh, I, I Big Ten football usually pains my ass because I, I watch it every Saturday and it's so early. It's so, 11 a.m. It is. is so early to see three and outs and, and, and players who you know will get crushed by SEC opponents whenever the bowl season rolls around. But yes. this year in Big Ten football, like I'm watching Mel Tucker's Michigan State squad be spunky. I'm still waiting on that Scott Frost thing whenever, whenever it's supposed to yeah. happen and, and you got some weirdness in Ohio State I won't say weirdness but you go from Dwayne Haskins and uh Justin Fields who yep. you know obviously of of Chicago Bears fame now to CJ Stroud like who who's the giant obviously it's Ohio State still but is that giant lessened a little bit in the Big Ten or are teams catching up because of the quarterback situation real quick on Mel Tucker how about him wearing shorts on the <laughs> sideline? That is some amazing stuff. Like, I like him immensely because he, he's rocking shorts, and he did this last year a little bit too, yeah. and I just think that's great. I just – sorry. I, I just no, you're think good. You're good. they immediately – I hold them in higher regard because he don't give a goddamn, and he's just I'm, wearing shorts, and and I love that because that would be what I would wear coaching. So, you, you know, I I'm I went to Iowa, right? So my, mm -hmm. my I've got some Iowa bias that I inject into these things. But I think the Big Ten is a lot more interesting as a result of Ohio State just being kind of, I think broken is too strong, but the parts aren't meshing together. And as we're recording this, I hear, you know, C.J. Stroud's going to be out, his shoulders, they're playing Akron, so who cares? But the it's just not working. And if you watch that Oregon game, they couldn't set an edge. The, the, the secondary was an issue last year, by the way, that mm -hmm. finally came to fruition. I mean, we saw it against like Indiana, and then you saw it really bad 
of course, in the playoffs. So Ohio State being a little weird, like Iowa is a is a gross but beautiful style of play. I still don't know if their quarterback is any good. Yeah. Penn State, I don't know if they're any good. Like beating Auburn at home, and what a scene. Like, what does that tell us? So we're trying to figure this thing out. And Michigan is just going to run the ball 85 times a game and like do like Jim Harbaugh football on steroids, but it's working. Yeah. So there's a lot still to be figured out. Is Wisconsin any good? Like Wisconsin, we're you know, find we'll, out this we'll week. Find right? out. Yeah, we're gonna yeah. find out, right? Or maybe not, because Notre Dame might suck too. <laughs> so, like, I mean, this is I think in general, the theme across college football is is anybody any good? And and Alabama's good, really good. And Georgia, I think, is really good too. But Alabama might not might Alabama might be mortal. They might bleed human blood, which is which a rarity. So I love this because in the Big Ten now you look at odds. It's pretty wild. Ohio State's still in there, but you have Iowa, Penn State, you have others who are trying to figure this thing out. And I hope that theme carries through, not just for the Big Ten, but all of college football, because the weeks have been great. We've flirted with upsets. We've gotten upsets. I want it to be weird like this. The Big Ten is like a perfect conference to zero in on something we're seeing across the sport. You know, you mentioned C.J. Stroud and you mentioned Sean Clifford still doing it for his 19th year uh, at Penn State. (laughs) the quarterbacks, and, and I was taking a look at some of the quarterbacks around, not just the Big Ten, but college football, and I'm thinking to myself, these last three years as an NFL team, like, if you didn't get your quarterback, uh, where are you going? Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and, of course, you're going to have the, the guys who vault to the top of the, the, the prospect positional rankings, the NFL draft rankings, Mel Kuyper and Todd McShay going to do their things, Matt Miller going to do their thing, you're going to do your thing when you're yeah. asked about the quarterbacks. But if you didn't get your quarterback as an <clears throat> NFL team over these last three or four years, are the pickings getting a little slimmer, or is this the evolution of the quarterback position that we're seeing in full final phase now where it's like, no, 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 these aren't just dual threats. This is this is what you have to draft now. So it's a great it's a great question. So you look at we talked about Justin Fields, we talked about Trevor Lawrence. Those guys were like one and one A in, in high school. I remember watching those guys at like recruiting camps, and it was like, good God. And so for three years, it was just these guys are seeding. This is this is who they are, and they're they're big, they're physical, they're like everything you want in a quarterback. And they, by the way, they like surpass expectations. When you think about Trevor Lawrence, it was he could not meet them, and he kind of did. I mean, right. he, he didn't win a Heisman, but he kind of did. And Fields was ridiculous, even though we we hold these guys to such a ridiculous standard. You look at now, Spencer Rattler at Oklahoma is a really interesting case because I don't know yet who that dude is or how good he is. I think he's I think he's good. Again, we're 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 grading difficult, but, right. but this was the Heisman favorite. <clears throat> he hasn't looked at the he hasn't looked like that guy. And and maybe Nebraska's defense is better than than they were supposed to be. And that's what people are saying this week. Oklahoma fans are saying that. I think the most interesting part of this, Matt Corral is that dude. Like Matt Corral was a five five star guy, but he's on that Zach Wilson tra- path, which is just like in a blink of an eye, this is this is the the this is who the guy is. And I don't remember that being the case, right? When we were watching this, it really started with Joe Burrow, where Joe Burrow was like an average dude and went to LSU and was meh. And then all of a sudden, holy shit, this guy is Superman. And we didn't question the fact that it was one year. We didn't, we just said, okay. And by the way, Joe Burrow, you know, I know there were some ups and downs against the Bears, but like, I think he's going to be really good. And I think he's going to be fine now. Yeah. So, so Sam Howell, pretty interesting. Um, I think Bryce Young eventually, although his size, good luck with that. Just we're going to get bombarded with he's too small. He's too small. 
I think there's some interesting pieces, but there's not the same kind of interesting pieces. It's been a pretty good flow when it comes to quarterback. All right, so yearly we do the this team is back, this team is back, whether it be Texas or Miami. I think it goes back and forth between Texas and Miami. Like, oh, the U is back, and then the U gets, you know, gets this stomped yes. in the wine. And Texas, uh, Texas now, I don't even know what being back is because it's been so long since Vince yeah. Young, right? Um, which teams are you tired of hearing this team is back and you're going to have to start seeing something here soon or else they're going to be – because I was making the joke that Miami can now consider themselves a basketball school. Like, I, I don't want to hear about this anymore. I know you got the recruiting base, but guess what? The kids you're recruiting ain't winning. The guys that you're bringing in here to develop those kids is not happening to the level that we think. Because if you are – Yes. I'm 40. If you are 25 years old, you really don't know Miami to be anything but a middling school when it comes to football. Yeah, like who the hell is Jonathan Vilma, right? Like, <laughs> like, like, and and to me, like I'm like, oh man, these Miami teams, and everyone's like, yeah, that's great, like, like you're getting old. So like, <laughs> I so this is a so in light of the USC job opening, right? Mm. We could talk about the way we view the quote unquote blue bloods. USC is a job that with the right person can be back quickly in that state with that program with that talent. With that lifestyle. That, with, with that everything, right? <laughs> I'm telling you, if Lane Kiffin, if they hired him again, like matured, uh, now very fit, uh, recruiting savvy, media's eating out of his hand, Lane Kiffin, I think he would kill it at that job. And that seems strange to say, but I really do. USC can be back at any point in time if they get the right person. Okay. But like Nebraska and Tennessee fans are like confronting a reality right now that it it ain't happening. Like I have my, my neighbor uh, and he's a, he's, a, he's a really good friend of mine is a Nebraska fan. We went to the Illinois game, right? One of the saddest goddamn experiences of my life <laughs> is walking back with Nebraska fans, like passing Illinois fraternities and them just yelling, just hellacious shit at us for being like Nebraska fans. And I, I told, I talked to him afterwards. It's like, that is a moment. If you're a Nebraska fan, when you are being heckled by Illinois fraternities for sucking, Right. Like, you know, like that's bad. So Nebraska and Tennessee are two that I always, and Tennessee's the same way. Like Tennessee has more infrastructure yeah. geographically is equipped to be there. But I, I do think the Texas one, I like the Sarkar. Like I think Texas has so much going for it resource wise and everything that it can be back. But the problem is we've kind of lost our way on, on thinking about what back is. They had one of the greatest games ever. And, and they were, were, they were supposed to lose that game. They had Vince Young, and he was Superman and they were great under Mac Brown, but they weren't Alabama. That wasn't a team. Like that was a dominant team, but it wasn't right. like a new, the new level of dominance. I think they're in a, and what's it going to look like when they go to the sec, like the, the slides going to get tough. So I think a lot of teams that live in the glory days, like things have to move quickly, whether it's recruiting and everything else. I can't even, we can't even have a conversation about Miami. Like I'm done with that until they get, until they hire, I don't know, somebody, not, not that Luther dude. Campbell, Luther Campbell. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know what you do other than say, Hey Lane, I know you like South Florida. We're going to pay you $8 million a year here. I don't know what you do. You can't even have that conversation. You can't in a lot of these places. So speaking of resources and it just popped into my mind and speaking of Luther Campbell, um, Name, image, and likeness. How yeah. how do we see that influencing decisions going forward? I mean, you know, Nick Saban threw out there, yo, 
my man over here getting the mill. We ain't even snapped the ball yet. Like, yep. that's that's strategic, right? I mean, you're looking at these these local, you know, rug sellers and and, and, yes. and, and cleaners and all these. Like, how is name, image, and likeness? Because this is the wild, wild west right now. But how is it yes. going to impact not just recruiting but transferring and all the other things? Because this is a player business. If you're getting the players, NIL should be helping you, especially if you're some of these franchises. I don't even call them programs anymore, but yeah. franchises. Yeah, so you've got not only do you have name, image, and likeness, but you have transfer rules that have really loosened up, right? So you had Justin Fields. You had that quote-unquote waiver, and it was BS. And it's like, you know what? You're going to be able to transfer now. So Gary Patterson at TCU like joked with his boosters and it's not even joking, like pay these dudes, find ways to pay these guys like the money that they're deserved. But the most interesting one today was the deal that BYU had like of all the deals, right? Like Bryce Young making a million dollars at Alabama. You got, you know, the, the, the high school quarterback going to Ohio state, getting a million dollars. Like that's, that's great. But the one BYU basically getting a sponsor or getting somebody to pay all of their walk-ons. When that happened, it was a really touching moment. These kids just got their tuition paid for, right? It's yeah. a really cool moment. And I remember I was, I had like a, one of my contacts at a major school just, you know, reached out to me and said, that's, this is it. That's the tipping point of all the teams to change college athletics. Bring it's him BYU. <laughs> yeah, it's BYU. And I, I've thought about that a lot. So I think everybody's trying to get, figure out where the loopholes are and, you know, if you're like a De'Ara King who has not played well and is hurt and like it's not going great for Miami, he's he's getting paid. And that dude has earned it because he's paid his dues to get in here. And that's great. But the part that's most intriguing to me is how will these how will these things be exposed? And you see the car dealership photos, you're seeing all these mm -hmm. things. But when you have a an entity that can pay for all of your walk ons, so scholarship limits potentially don't matter. Man. That changes the game. And that's the part that I'm really interested to see. Yeah. I mean, I, I think about some of the athletes that we saw, like generational. We just talked about Vince yeah. Young, right? Maurice Claret. Uh, Bo was talking, Bomani Jones was talking about, yeah, what was it, uh, Reggie Bush's sophomore year. He would have been Nuts. a millionaire. You know what I mean? Like these, these, are the, these are the kinds of not just generational talents, but superstars like Zion Williamson. You, you mean to tell me Zion Williamson wouldn't have been a, a, a multimillionaire coming into college? So I, I'm looking at it and, and trying to project not only how coaches are going to deal with this, but as you mentioned, how boosters are going to deal with this. What do you see the NCAA – uh, how, because how, they got to control it. They, they feel like they have to control it. How will the NCAA counterpunch this thing to make sure it's not the Wild Wild West in, in future years? Well, when you think about this, they have been dragged into this, right? Like they have been pushed kicking and screaming to the point like where the day this is going live, like the 24 hours earlier, they're like, yeah, this is legal. No shit. What are you going to say? Like, no shit. You, you have, they have lost control. Con, you know, you've got governments that are dictating policy for them. And I think the NCAA has realized that this ain't going to work. The part of this that is interesting, I think like the rest of us, they're along for the ride, yeah. right? So when BYU gets all these walk-ons and you get a touching, a touching video, that's great. You're changing these kids' lives. Yeah. How do you control that? This is in the spirit I guess it's kind of in the spirit of the rule, right? They're, they're doing something amazing. But the, uh, there's other people that can tap into that and also do something amazing for kids, which is give them basically a free education, which is amazing. Right. But it can be used as a strategic advantage. I don't have a great answer for the NCAA other than they've, 
they've really found ways to mangle just about every important conversation in college athletics. And this one, I think people, coaches, boosters, players, us, NCAA are going to see something and say, well, I don't love that, but how are you going to control it? It really feels like the gate is open. The horse is out. It's going to run wild and we're going to have to collect things. But I really think, like you mentioned, you get those superstar humans. Like you get those, what I'm really interested in. And college doesn't really have a guy right now. Like, I don't think there's a Trevor Lawrence right now, right? Like if Spencer Rattler could become that guy, you know, Bryce Young could become that guy at Alabama, but there's not that dude. There's not a Reggie Bush. When there is, I'm curious to see what the ceiling is because it feels like right now it's, it's tremendously high. All right, let's go right there. Who who do you enjoy watching the most in these first few weeks? Or a guy that you knew you were going to enjoy watching and, and he's uh, fulfilling that these first few weeks of the college football season? I'll tell you what, man. BYU, I've gotten great pleasure watching them deep into nights these last couple of weeks. You lose Zach Wilson, mm-hmm. you get this QB Hall who runs around like crazy, like, like a 12-year-old playing man, making plays. They beat three Pac-12 teams and – there, I, I was I was unexpected. I remember I bet Arizona in week one, right? Arizona was getting 11 points, and I thought Arizona, my God, BYU, Zach Wilson was so important for them. They're not going to be any good. And they handled, they handled Arizona State, and they've, and that's not like a life-altering thing, but what I'm intrigued by them is look at the rest of their schedule, and I want chaos. I mean, Jake, you know, I, I love, I know, <laughs> I love the sport being pushed in ways it doesn't want to go. And if BYU 3-0 and against the Pac-12, I think it would be really fun to see them go undefeated at a time where everybody else is looking kind of clumsy and broken and Clemson doesn't look very good. There's teams that just don't look good. Like why not them? And then the other team, you know, Ole Miss has not played that Ole Miss Alabama games coming up. Right. So it's, it's the following week. That offense is magical right now with Matt Corral and they lost Elijah Moore. They lost yeah. some dudes. But watching that that guy work, a six foot five, two hundred thirty pound kid who can move a little bit as well, you know they they could have scored hundred. I'm actually surprised that Lane didn't drop hundred on Tulane. And I think if you're Nick Saban, you're really nervous about this. Like I, I think your 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 defense is not perfect. Florida showed that, and they did that with Emory Jones, who's good, not great. I think Ole Miss right now, even though they haven't necessarily beaten anybody, and they got a brutal schedule. That's going to be that team is a joy just to watch opera. They had what 61 points early in the third quarter last week. I mean, it's crazy. So, we already know that Clay Helton got his walking papers. Uh, yep. who's the next coach who's going to have to check that key card every single time they pull up to the office and make sure that they can still get in? You know, it there'll be some along the way, but the one I'm gonna, I'm gonna hijack the question a bit because I think this week has a game that. I think Ed Orgeron's a really interesting – I don't think he's going to be fired, but I think things will get really intense. And I look at this game against Mississippi State, they're a two-point favorite at the time we're recording this, something like that. That schedule sucks. That schedule That schedule sucks. They're, they're not a bad team. Right. But there's these coaches that just have these very friction-oriented relationships. Like James Franklin kind of has it with Penn State, and he's winning. But, like, when he loses a couple games, it feels like people pile on him quicker than most, right? And and Ed Orgeron, well, I don't necessarily think he's going to be fired. I just think when you look at that schedule and all they have coming, they lost to UCLA already, which mm-hmm. that, that looked like actually a good loss. Then UCLA loses to Fresno. Maybe it's not a good loss. They lose to Mississippi State. 
man, I'm telling you, things could get kind of weird. And you'll have other coaches along the way. But Mm -hmm. when I look at it, it's like it's these really big jobs. Like the dude at Washington State who won't get vaccinated and his team sucks. Like, whatever. That's not great. Right. Like (laughs) you suck and you've made just a big distraction. Like be gone. Right. You're doing nothing well. Nothing is going well. But that's not that interesting because like everyone's like, yeah, that dude's probably going to get fired. I think when you look at some of these high position jobs, by the way, I mean, the Helton thing was shocking to me. Was that shocking to you? Yeah. Yeah. Because first of all, you you didn't really get him a chance to get it going. And on top of it, how many people are you going to bring in here before nobody wants this job? Right. Like. What is this, the third coach in six years? Well, Helton's got a leash. I, 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 like, I, how, it, how, how, long, how long does it take to turn around a major program who's been in the dumps? I know it's case by case, yeah, but yeah. as you mentioned, USC and UCLA, two different places, right? Like, yes. Location-wise, lifestyle-wise, if you do turn yes. it around. Like, yes. I, well, it's, it's – that's a place that, you know, it's funny. We're talking about other jobs, right? And, and right. look at what Arkansas is doing with Sam Pittman. Like, they got a shot to upset a and this week. I, yeah. I, I, and that is not an easy job. That is not an easy gig. You go there, you look at, like, Shane Beamer at South Carolina. That is not easy. Look at Vandy. Arkansas was sort of in that conversation after whole, the whole Bielema thing. And, and they've had their heyday. That you talk, How much money would Darren McFadden have made, by the way? And I also, oh, my God. But – He's done an amazing job where you can lift the program kind of out of the cellar and make them instantly fun and they're manhandling Texas. So what did Clay Helton do besides he, win? You know, yeah, that's it. And and he's a really he's almost too nice a guy. Like it's a weird thing. He's actually a great dude. And he never had a guy, he was he didn't inspire a great deal of confidence. The other problem with that state is they he had some recruiting wins. But there's so much talent. It used to be a foregone conclusion that, like, everybody in that state, you go to USC. That started going to Washington, started going Oregon. to Texas, started going to Alabama. Bryce Young. Bryce Young. I did a story on him. Grew up a USC fan. Bijan Robinson out Texas, the running back. I went to go out and see him. He was wearing a damn USC, like, pullover when I went in. I'm like, oh. And he goes, oh, no, no, no. So you've got kids now, I mean, Bryce Young and B. John Robinson are two of like the most exciting players in college football going right now that yeah. wanted USC to be their team and wouldn't do it. And that's a problem. And, but if you can find the right guy for that job, whether it's it, it ain't going to be urban. I, I, I was just going to say it to be fun. It ain't going to be urban. Even, USC even can't if, do it and urban can't do it. Yeah, <laughs> I, and neither. But but whether it would be a James Franklin or yeah. a Chris Peterson who would come out and do this thing. I mean, I think, you know. That was a marriage that made sense, you know, a decade ago. Right. Um, that's a job that they haven't won. And they've got a conference where you should just roll over everybody. I mean, you should beat the hell out of everybody in that conference for the most part. Oregon can compete. Obviously, they're recruiting. And I think Crystal Ball's great. But in most of these games, you can't be losing to Stanford right now. Like, you can't you, – that can't happen. So you need to win – you need to control the optics and you need to get this talent that was like begging you for to, to be good for the last decade. All right, last thing, bring it back locally here. Notre Dame, Wisconsin kind of touched on it. Uh, I watched Wisconsin last week, and, you know, 
if the quarterback keeps throwing in the triple coverage and double coverage, yeah. you know, they, they've never had outside of Russell Wilson. They, they yeah. in my lifetime, they've never had a quarterback that I'm like, all right, this guy's going to go win you the game, but they've always had a quarterback that wasn't going to lose them the game and just hand it off. Um, Notre Dame is Notre Dame. They're going to, they recruit yeah. a certain amount of talent right now. And Brian Kelly, you know, it's crazy to think that Brian Kelly's been around longer than guys like Lou Holtz and, and, uh, and, and, and Ty Willingham. I mean, the coaches that I kind of grew up with. So yeah. uh, the Notre Dame thing is interesting, but obviously playing over here at Soldier Field versus Wisconsin, you're going to have a lot of people in the area going over to that game. What, what's your thoughts on the Badgers versus the Fighting Irish this weekend? Yeah, I'm excited about it. I wish it was played. I'm, I'm happy it's locally because it'll be a cool scene and you'll probably get a pretty good mix, right? You know the area, like you, you, you've got a lot of – I mean, honestly, it'll be, it'll be a really cool thing because I think that'll be close to 50-50. But um, I don't know really what to make of both these teams. Wisconsin's played two games. Uh, a loss to Penn State, you could say, is aging pretty well considering Penn State yeah. looks pretty good. But that was not – it was not a uh, – it was an ugly loss. Mertz, the quarterback you mentioned – you know, if you remember last year, it was, a, it was a weird college football season. He came out, I think, against Illinois and looked like uh, the, he looked like a dude. Looked and like the five-star that he is. He, he really did. He looked <laughs> like a guy. And then they had COVID situations, and it just has not meshed. I still think Notre Dame has just been playing with fire. And Notre Dame we, thematically aligns with some of the teams that we're talking about in that that Florida State, when we talk about losses aging well, the Florida State loss has aged like shit. I mean, that is not good. Like that is, that is, that is a, one of those games. What was it a few years ago? Texas, Notre Dame. You talk about Texas being back. Remember that yeah, Texas? Be- yeah. And like both those teams were bad. Right. Shane like, Bouchel, so right? Yeah. Yeah. It was like, Oh, <laughs> Texas is back. No, they ain't that. So this is, this is the line is interesting because Wisconsin's favored, not just by like two or three, but I, last time I checked like five, five and a half, something like yeah. that. The one thing I'll say, Notre Dame has the two best players in this game, their tight end and their safety. And that dude might be, I mean, that dude might be the best defensive player in college football. The problem is those are two positions that are tough to influence a game down after down. And yet they're really, really important. I I'm waiting for Notre Dame to turn it on a little bit because I I thought it would be a tough year and they find a way to scoop by I think Wisconsin probably can win with a meat grinder game plan. Like, I don't think this is a game plan where they have to get out of their comfort zone, quite honestly. So I probably lean Badgers from a gambling standpoint. It's probably a stay away from me and it'll probably be low scoring and big tenny. And you know, that's perfectly okay. It's an important game though, for both of these teams. It really is like from a narrative standpoint alone, we're going to take a lot from this on either side. Yeah, so college football is in full throttle. Uh, always good to talk to you, man. I'll be moving this weekend, so hopefully the cable oh, guy can uh, set up the TVs before anything gets to the house. So, yeah, man, yeah, oh, don't worry. It is, it is, Godspeed. Uh, it is, it is carnage in here. It, oh. is, cha- <laughs> it, is, well, it is chaos. So, so, so real quick, I get home last night, right? Long day, kids' activities, internet's out, cable's out. Oh, no. Right. And I, I, I poured myself into this for like two or three hours. Couldn't do it. We, we got it. I can't have that. Like it's, it's Thursday. Like it's Thursday. Like this is close. I got the three TVs. Nothing's working. Somebody cut a wire or something with fixed. I getting text from the wife here as I'm doing this internet back, internet back. Okay. Internet back. So we're good. So I hope your situation works itself out as smoothly as mine.
right, listen, this last six, seven months, there's been a whirlwind. You know, Bill oh, Simmons jumped on my line. I got a pit bull puppy. I'm in a new relationship. I'm moving in. Like, this is this has been a whirlwind, my man. So, oh, man. but the, the great, the best thing is I've had the internet and I've had cable throughout of it. So, uh, I'll be able to hopefully rely on that on Saturday when I'm tuning up to some college football action. Adam, as oh, always, man, go yeah. back to, to what, 2012 in Atlanta where you jumped on a show that you didn't have to jump on, and I appreciate you. And you, you jumped on a podcast you didn't have to jump on. I equally appreciate that as well, man. So thank you so much for your time. Always got time for you, man. Great to catch up. Good luck with the move, and I'm sure we'll talk soon. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like... Can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. The Full Goal with Jason Goff. What up, world? It's Vic Spencer, and you're listening to The Full Goal with Jason Goff, presented by The Ringer, a Spotify original. Now we get a chance to welcome in from Defector Media. And and listen, I, I'm going to get to her Twitter banner because <laughs> she's kicking a field goal in very bad weather. And I kind of I kind of think I know what event this happened at. But but from the Defector is Kaylin Kaler. Kaylin, thank you so much for jumping on with us. I was perusing Twitter as I am like to do and as my lady hates that I do. Uh, and I saw your piece about NFL players and the fake vaccination card uh i'd hate to use epidemic in any kind of you know light term but it seems like this is an issue not only with regular people running around but i didn't know this was an issue with nfl players i always wonder for writers like yourself uh what spurs on the notion to okay i gotta look into this like what happened what what brought this to your attention and you're like you know what i gotta write about this yeah, that's a good question. So I had been covering the vaccine pretty closely um, all summer, pretty much since um, the league started uh, incentivizing and encouraging players to get the vaccine. Um, I did a story on it in June where I talked to six different players, kept them anonymous just to get their full uh, opinions and everything they knew about the vaccine. And so since then, I've just been talking to players been talking to people around the league about the vaccine. And then actually um, a colleague of mine um, she doesn't cover the NFL, but she heard from someone who heard from somebody that, you know, this person worked at an NFL team and that there were players with fake vaccine cards on that team. And at first she told me this and I was like, I don't think this is possible. Like, I kind of doubt that that would be happening. Like they're checking the cards, right? Like they can't be doing that. Um, so then I reached out to three different NFL trainers that I know. And the trainers at the clubs are the ones who are uh, responsible for looking, you know, tracking who's vaccinated, um, managing those appointments for players to get vaccinated and like making sure that they're doing it. Um, so I talked to those three trainers just to ask them, what are you guys actually doing to verify a player is vaccinated? Most players got vaccinated, like at the team facility, I would say the majority of them did. So with those guys, you can feel pretty confident that they really got vaccinated because the right. team probably witnessed it in person, but they said, you know, for everybody else, like if you got vaccinated over the summer break, there's like, there were like four or five weeks that they were totally off. Um, and a lot of guys did get vaccinated in that time period. They said, if you got vaccinated in that time period, 
I mean, all they're doing is getting a photo of your vaccine card. Some of them are saying we want to physically hold and touch their uh, players' vaccine cards to make sure that it looks legit. Um, but for the most part, it's either, you know, handling it or getting a photo of it, but they're not actually, you know, going to the county health department or calling CVS to say, hey, was this guy really here or mm -hmm. who set up this appointment? So long story short, after talking to those three trainers, I became convinced that it would be able to be possible because those trainers themselves told me like, yeah, I guess it would be possible because they're not getting training to spot a fake card. They don't know what the signs are to look for in a counterfeit vaccine card. The league's instruction to the clubs was just, you know, get the photos of the vaccine cards, but they're not actually enforcing anything beyond that. So then after that, I called a bunch of agents that I know um, just to see, hey, have you guys heard this? Anybody heard of this? And two agents told me that their players asked them for a fake vaccine card because their teammates had fake vaccine cards. And then another agent told me that after talking to one of his players, his player said, oh yeah, a big name guy on my team has a fake card. So I, as of this moment in time, I don't know who it is who has a fake card. So it could be possible that no one has one and everyone is just wrong about this. Right. But it's also like, because it's impossible to like really prove that your vaccine card is real, it's also really hard to prove that your vaccine card is fake, if that makes sense. No, no doubt. And, and it's crazy because when I was reading your piece, I thought about my situation. I got vaccinated on March 3rd and March 31st of this year, right? Uh, or was it? Yeah, this year. Mm -hmm. And when the first time I went, obviously, you take your shot, you get your card. The second For the second shot, I forgot my vaccination card, and I was going to hey. go back and go get it. And the, the lady at the Walgreens was like, no, I'll uh, print you out one, and you just write it on the top here, and then you can copy it over to your second card. And I'm sitting there like, wait a minute here. Like, how is this not illegal? Like, hey. is this something that – because I was getting ready to go to Belize to go visit my family, so I needed it. So I'm like, how is this – and then I started thinking to myself, like, jokingly, like, oh, man, you can get this off on the black market. And I – Obviously, I'm not going to do that. Wouldn't dare think of doing it. I mean, hell, right. COVID has is, is, is affected not only my family, but friends who I've lost. You know, Sekou Smith, God rest his soul. Like, there's been a lot of people who we have seen come and go because of this awful, awful disease. And the vaccination right. is very serious. So I, I didn't – is this um, – is this just a, a look into the country's inefficiency, uh, inefficiency and, and also the just the, the lack of overall database that we may have when it comes to people being vaccinated and our NFL players just a smaller subset of what we're walking around having to deal with in everyday life here as, as citizens? I think it's two things. Um, one, exactly what you just said. I mean, the country as a whole, it's very disjointed. Like, you know, we live in Chicago, we live in Illinois. I was able to find my vaccination record with the like state health department, but I couldn't look up you. I couldn't look up somebody else. You can only look up yourself. So right. it makes it difficult to see like who's vaccinated and who's not. Um, so I think that's one part of it is just the infrastructure as a whole. We don't have it um, as a country, as a state, wherever you are, the infrastructure is lacking. Um, and I think the second part is the NFL um, the NFL, if they wanted to, could do something more than what they're doing. The clubs could be doing more. Um, you know, they could be, I'm not sure what the medical release forms that players sign. I'm not sure exactly what those are like, but there is the possibility that in their like HIPAA release forms, 
that they, that vaccinations are covered. I'm not sure if that's part of it or not, but if it is part of it, then the club would have the right to double check. Right. Um, if it isn't part of it, then the club is really prevented from, you know, figuring that out further because that would, you know, HIPAA protects your privacy, your medical records from being shared. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I mean, the other part at play here, and I wrote this in the story is that it's not in a team's best interest to really know. Um, I mean, it is medically speaking, like obviously you don't want an outbreak. You want to avoid anyone getting sick. But I think the driving factor here is there are games to be played. There's money to be made and coaches don't coaches want to know that their players are available and don't have to be in the protocol. Cause the biggest difference here is that if you're unvaccinated and you are ruled a close contact, you have to be out for five days, no matter what. If you are vaccinated and you're a close contact, you can stay with the team. You have to continue to test. You have to take more tests than you normally would, but you don't have to leave. You can be with the team. You can keep doing your job. So that is what is most important here. So, you know, it's not in your team's best interest to, if, if someone shows up with a vaccine card that looks slightly off and you didn't set up their appointment, why are you going to question them? Because one, that leads to trust issues in your locker room, which nobody needs. Right. And then two, you know, that means that that player might not really be vaccinated, which means they're not going to be available. So it's not in the best interest of anyone to dig any further here. Yeah. yeah. Outside of the uh, the card being filled out in crayon, you just got to yeah, believe right. it pretty much. Uh, you know, you right. mentioned you mentioned the HIPAA component uh, is is it incumbent upon the league going forward? Because uh, I feel like we're going to have to deal with this for a little while. Uh, I didn't think it would be this long, but it looks like we're going to have to deal with this a, lo- a lot longer than any of us anticipated. Is it incumbent upon the league to, to put together not just a task force, but a database uh, so that they, and maybe even in-house database or in-house for teams so that they understand not only who's doing what, but also there's some authentication, uh, authentic, uh, authentic, authenticity to not only the cars, but what's being told to the let's face it you're around trainers you're around locker room guys and girls you know people who clean up the 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 concession stand whatever the case may be I mean there's a there's a civic duty also to make sure that if this is what we're saying we're doing to back it up as well or is it just hey wild wild west out there yeah I mean I think I mean from what I've heard so far I don't I haven't heard anything that like the league is taking extra steps here or like changing what they're doing. So I'm not sure if that is coming later or if there are discussions like that going on, but from what I've heard now, they're not doing anything differently. They told me that they haven't had any reports of any fake vaccine cards, but you know, it goes back to what we're talking about. Why would they have any reports of it uh, when they're not really looking for it when no one's really looking for it. Right. So um, I think there is, from what I understand, Um, you know, with, and this goes for like any player medical history, they do have one of those like on, you know, web portals, that is how you share information legally via HIPAA. So, you know, if a player is traded, his medical information is going to be sent via that portal to his new team. So there is this, you know, cloud portal um, where your medical information is stored. And I do think that your vaccine card info is in there, but it's not being cross-checked. That's what's missing. So they do have like a database from team sharing to team sharing. Like if a player goes here mm-hmm. and here, like if a player is signed, like they'll be able to tell, okay, this guy's vaccinated because it's in his, his online record from what I understand. Um, it's just not being cross-checked. It's not being verified by anything other than the numbers that they just read off the card, which um, could be fake. Uh, so I think that's that would be the next step is to just implement 
a system where they are cross-checking that with the county health department or with the state health department or whoever it is. But honestly, I mean, I don't really blame the league here because it's like no one has really figured it out. So so I why think, should we have to be the first ones to figure it out? Yeah. So, I mean, I think, well, you saw, I mean, it was interesting because you saw last season with the COVID protocol, you know, I heard, you know, the, the stats and the numbers and the research from how teams did with the testing every day and everything that was really influential in like guiding COVID protocol and things outside of sports. So in a way, like sports have been sort of a leader in this whole pandemic and sort of like testing out different protocols and the ways different things work and, and providing huge research groups. Um, you know, the data from that has been helpful in, in other fields, but, and so maybe we'll see the same thing in sports where leagues are going to be the first ones to figure out how to really prove that a guy was vaccinated or not. You know, it's, it's, to me, it's fascinating to, to see the, the different cultural breakdowns across these leagues right major league baseball i was like oh yeah you might have some issues in terms of vaccination and all that the nba kind of no i won't say shocked me but it's kind of the scuttlebutt around the league is like all right you know who's not down with this and you know that there's a whole campaign that adam silver and everybody has jumped into saying hey y'all we not only need to do it but we need to talk to people about doing it and then you get the nfl where the players union has pretty much told everybody I don't care if you're vaccinated or not. Just say I don't want to reveal my vaccination status so that we can cover everyone. Is there anything that doing the digging, talking to the people that you talk to that surprised you about not just the way the NFL might be handling this, but how players have that exact same hesitancy due to maybe misinformation or disinformation that regular people run around and have every day? Yeah, well, in the first story that I wrote in June, one thing that was extremely relatable um, but also really interesting is one player was set, told me he got vaccinated just to make his life easier, which I think a lot of them did. A lot of them were definitely encouraged by the protocol and, and especially the fines that would be assessed to you if you, right. you know, forgot to wear your mask one day or something. So um, this player got vaccinated, but his whole family um, was deeply against it and he lied to them. And, I, and I'd like to call him again now and see if he's continuing to lie about it because he was like, I, yeah, just to avoid a scene and to avoid like a family fight. Like I did not tell my parents that I got vaccinated because they were extremely against it. And I think with a lot of these players that we keep hearing that personal choice quote, um, I think with a lot of those guys who were assuming they aren't vaccinated because they're using this personal choice quote, I think a lot of them actually are vaccinated. And I think they are not saying it because of personal family problems like their family will be very mad and they're just trying to avoid wow. you know they're trying to avoid a uh you know a family fight a family feud you know they're trying to like you know keep everything calm at home so i think i can't imagine paying everybody's bills around me and still not being able to, exactly. to admit that i that i'm using a vaccine that will help people around exactly, me exactly exactly but you know i know for a fact that that one player that i'm mentioning that's what was going on with him and i've heard you know, it's going on with some of these bigger name guys who we've seen say personal choice that oh. they actually are in fact vaccinated. Um, it's just a family pressure that they are not going to admit it publicly, which is really sad because these guys are role models. But, you know, it makes sense. Like I have 
family that's not vaccinated and I am not lying to them, but I do not want to talk about, about it with them. I just avoid it at all costs. So likewise, Kaylin, likewise. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I understand that struggle. I understand that fight. You mentioned you're in the Chicago area and and shout out to you because we're getting ready to, uh, Summer just waved goodbye to us a few days ago. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah we're, we're getting ready to feel it here in a couple of moments. And speaking of, I, I was checking out your Twitter profile and, you know, everybody's got their cool banner. Is that you doing the Cody Parkey challenge in okay. snow, Kaylee yeah. Kaler? Yeah, two years ago. <laughs> yeah, I did that. I was like, this will be a fun story. Like, let me go. Let me try it. And I actually got a kicking coach um, the day before. I should have done it earlier that week and had maybe like more than one session he was like I asked him to like grade me afterwards um because obviously I didn't make it but I did clear the I cleared the line um there you go was that fence that they put up to stimulate that I cleared that and I went like way left I went extremely wide left and also extremely short um but I asked him for his feedback on my form because it was just one of those like kicking one of those guys in the area who does like kicking camps. Uh-huh. Um, he lives in Chicago. Uh, his name is escaping me right now or I'd give him a plug, but I can't remember his name. I just want to know how much uh, you paid for the kicking coach. If I can get if I can yeah, dig in well, your pockets real quick. No, it was it was, uh, you know, free of charge because he was going to be oh. in my story. It was kind of OK. Little, uh, gave him so you got what you paid for. I got you. I was like, hey, how did I do? And he was like, well you know, and he critiqued several things. Then he was like, but you know, the biggest thing is you should have uh, had more than one session, more than 24 hours before the event. <laughs> and I was like, is. yeah, that's true. There but yeah, that was really fun. And like, honestly, like if you ever have any spare time, like highly recommend just taking a kicking lesson. It's like really, it's interesting. It's really interesting. And it's way harder than of it course. is. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, I can't get it's probably just like my golf swing. I can't get the ball in the air to save the life. So I I don't think I'd be able to do it on the kicking side of things before we let you go. And I I appreciate you. Everybody should go to the Defectors website or Defector Twitter feed or Kalen Kaler's Twitter feed uh, to go check out uh, this highly fascinating piece and and the words that she put behind it and actually just taking us behind the scenes because you talk to a few agents, you talk to a few players. This isn't just conjecture. This is, this is, uh, this is backed up and and resourced information before we let you go. I saw you write about Justin Fields. Oh yeah. We had Jim Miller on earlier in the pod, him talking about what's next for Justin and not throwing a guy in there too early as opposed to throwing him in there too early. How do you feel about the Justin Fields situation as we get ready to see his, his first start in the NFL against the Cleveland Browns coming up here on Sunday. I feel excited about it. Um, I am, you know, I mean, I am very confused by the messaging coming out of the bears. Like everything that they do is just so confusing. Like I don't think anyone knows what's going on there. Um, I would be really happy about it and like confident about it. If I had more faith in this coaching staff, um, which I don't really just because of like the evidence. Um, yeah. The results. You know, yeah. Like if I, if I had, if I felt like this staff was, was, you know, I don't know, efficient enough to like be making these in-game adjustments to capitalize on everything that Justin Fields can do in the moment, then I think I would feel good about it, but we just really haven't seen that from them. I mean, I just go back to like Nagy being asked last week, well, why didn't, you know, why didn't you use tight ends more? And he's like, well, that's on me. I'll have to be better. Just be better. Just, you know, look at, at There's a lot of that make with him. adjustments at halftime. Yeah. Look at what you've done. Look at the plays you've called. 
make a change when you realize you're not utilizing your tight ends. Like, I mean, it's easy to sit here, not in the coaching job and like make these criticisms, but it just really doesn't seem that hard to like, you're in charge, bro. Do, do what you need to do instead of saying, oh yeah, that's on me. I'll do it next time. And then you never do it. So I don't know. I, I feel like I'm excited to see Justin Fields, but I don't trust the coaching staff to be making the best decisions for him. That See, sense. we need to throw that on a T-shirt that both men and women can wear around this city. You're in charge, bro. Just do what you need to do, ladies <laughs> yeah. and gentlemen. Kaylin yeah. Kaler from The Defector joining us here on the Full Gold Podcast. Kaylin, I, I love the piece. Can't wait to see more of your work. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. Thanks for having me, Jason. Connect with the show 24-7 on the Full Gold voicemail line. Hit us up at 773-359-3103. That's 773-359-3103. And now it's time for a nationally acclaimed segment. I I think by now it should have won a podcast segment of the year award. I don't even know if that's a thing, but we like to call it our voicemail segment where you can get whatever take you got on your mind, whether it be about music, sports, whatever you're going through. Just say, hey, 773-359-3103 is the voicemail number. Make sure you lock that into your contacts for the full go. All right, Chris, let's see what we're starting with. Hey, Jason Lawrence from Morton Grove. Congrats on the show. Um, I had a Bears take that I – I can't believe I haven't heard locally, nationally. Uh, maybe I'm just crazy. But why wouldn't the Bears at this point, especially when everyone's healthy, look to trade Mac, trade Robinson, trade Dalton, trade Foles to get some of this draft capital back? I mean, let's be serious. We're not going to make the playoffs, and yet we don't want to go 2-15 and 15 because we've already given our draft pick away to the Giants. So we can't be that embarrassed even though we always are embarrassed uh, nationally. But that would be even worse when Schefter and Todd McShay, whoever, is just going to throw us under the bus, Mel Kuyper, whatever, uh, about trading that for Fields. And I think Fields is going to work out, and I'm a huge fan of Fields. But I just don't understand why Khalil Mack and Robinson, they're not going to be here in three years when the Bears hopefully make that turn, or maybe two years. So why not? trade Mac back to the Raiders, to the Bills, someone that could use him and get a first-rounder back, get a couple second-rounders back, whatever. Trade Robinson to whoever needs receivers. Um, you know, maybe you can't get anything for Dalton or Foles, but, you know, a sixth-rounder or something or, or whatever. So I, I'm just curious on your take on that, um, why we wouldn't do that now. I, I, I'm not a salary cap guy, so I'm not sure uh, how that all works. Or I mean, I know how it works, but how it would work in this landscape and if we could we could do that because i know a lot of money is owed but anyway i i think i mean pace not a fan but maybe he could save face and get some picks back and start building this team the right way with justin fields in place you can start focusing on all the other areas and mac robinson and and these other guys are just not going to be around why why wouldn't we trade some of these guys anyway um anxious to hear your take uh congrats again on the show peace out thanks bye 
All right, Lawrence from Morning Grow. Appreciate you, man. Thank you for uh, following me over here to the full go. Uh, a couple of reasons why. If Ryan Pace, if I'm Ryan Pace and I'm thinking about doing that, uh, how quickly do I want to get fired, right? I mean, you you trade, like you mentioned, all that draft capital uh, with, with Khalil Mack, and then you trade up to go get Justin Fields. Well, Khalil Mack got to help Justin Fields. You know, Look what's happening right now with Zach Wilson in New York. Zach Wilson doesn't have the things that Mac Jones has, hell, that Trey Lance has that when he gets a chance to play some quarterback. Hell, even Trevor Lawrence. So Trevor Lawrence got himself a couple of decent wide receivers. The New York Jets are a disaster, and it's partly because they throw in a rookie quarterback out there with no uh, insulation to what rookie quarterbacks are going to go through, right? If, you, if you're getting beat on defense and then all of a sudden you look to a 22-year-old, 21-year-old to bail you out on offense, and it's going to be shaky. I don't care if he's Peyton Manning, Andrew Luck, or, or John Elway, or you know, Dan Marino reincarnate it's, it's gonna be tough so ryan pace is looking at khalil mack and Allen robinson and all these guys to help out the draft pick that he moved up to the, in the draft to get so if i'm ryan pace hell no i'm not trading and plus you're gonna get pennies on a dollar for your trade if i'm going back to the raiders asking them what, what's really happening what's really good you you think they're gonna say a first round pick or a second round pick no khalil mack can't get off a double team now as consistently, I guess, as he used to or wreak as much havoc as he used to. I know he had a good game uh, <clears throat> against the Bengals, but nah, man. Yeah, that's hustling backwards if you're Ryan Pace. Yeah, as a Bears fan, you may want them to do that just to make you feel a little bit better about draft capital or the, or the, the lack thereof of draft capital. But nah, man, Ryan Pace ain't doing that. And Matt Nagy ain't asking for him to do that. These two dudes are fighting for their football lives right now and their football reputations. Guys got to have gigs after this gig, right? So if I'm Ryan Pace, if I'm Matt Nagy, nah. Allen Robinson, you sit your ass down right here. And Khalil Mack, you sit your ass down right here because y'all going to have to help Justin Fields become a better quarterback uh, indirectly and directly. So I don't think that's happening, Lawrence. Appreciate the call, man. Let's go to another voicemail real quick right here on the full go. Jay Goff, this is Russ calling from Illini country down in Urbana, Illinois. Now, look, I've been super excited about the full go podcast, and it's awesome to see one of Chicago's best radio guys on the Ringer Network. You're keeping Dollar Bill Simmons in line with all of his crazy <laughs> Boston takes. But I do have a small complaint. Uh-oh. Now, I don't think you can call it the full go podcast yet because it's really only been the three-fourths go podcast. Oh. You've been talking about the Sox, the Bulls, the Bears. But where's the love for the Cubbies? The Cubbies. <laughs> We got a geriatric rookie of the year. He's hitting bombs nightly. We got Frank the Tank Schwindel holding down first base. And we got Uncle Joe Madden saying that he was essentially fired. There's a ton of great storylines coming out of Wrigley. So my question is this, Jay Goff. Will you give us some will you give us Cubby fans some love? Especially once we're dominant in the NL Central again? And look, I know he's slightly irritating, but can you get my guy Dave Kaplan on? He's a guest I would love love to have on the Full Go Podcast. Anyway, I am loving the show. I've been waiting for a Chicago show to come on the ringer since 2016, so I am a happy man. All right, let's uh, see red, bear down, and let's go! <laughs> Man, that man was about to say every slogan in the city, right? He hit us with a C red and a bear down. 
Maybe a good guys wear black on the south side of things. Uh, the reason why I haven't talked much about the Cubs is because Cubs fans now, to me, aren't really talking about the Cubs right now. The Cubs, it's uh, it's weird to see the heights that that thing reached and how sustainable that success was supposed to be. And we talked about it in our Sox conversation on this podcast, but how sustainable that success was supposed to be and how quickly that thing has crashed to the ground uh, shortly after Theo Epstein left. And now Jed Hoyer's got to put this thing back together. Uh, you know, seeing Rizzo and Javi Baez and Chris Bryant go elsewhere. I mean, I'm not one of these Sox fans who like, you know, who hates the Cubs. That's not really my vibe. Has never really been my vibe. I have fun with my Cubs fans, friends all the time on group chats and stuff like that. But I really don't do the whole Cubs suck thing. But to see what ha- has happened to a fan base and hell, to a broadcast too. I mean, don't forget they lost Lane Casper, right? And, and shout out to Boo Shambi, uh, who we're looking forward to having on on this podcast. But yeah, man, uh, Frank Tank Schwindel and hey Patrick Wisdom. You know, uh, you got some, you got, you got some pieces. You got some things that you might feel good about. And maybe Javier Baez comes back. Maybe he doesn't. Um, the Cubs have shown what their budget can be, and then they've shown what their budget should look like when they're not in a winning uh, attitude or win now mode. Uh, I don't know when that's going to be. You know, we're going to have to check out some of these prospects as they go along here. But, yeah, I, nobody's really talking about the Cubs in my sphere, right? More people are obviously talking about Justin Fields and the Bears, uh, the White Sox doing what they're doing, clinching the division now going forward, getting down to real, real business, right, two years in a row in the playoffs. Uh, yeah, that's what people around me are talking about. Hell, people are talking about the Hawks. And, 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 and you know, Jonathan Taves had his, uh, his press conference, was it yesterday or today, uh, and, and trying to address without addressing what he's gone through health-wise. Uh, you know, Mark andre Fleur, you got the Jones brothers. Hopefully we get some Hawks on here in the next week or two uh, as they get ready to embark upon training camp. And, of course, the Bulls. We're going to do a lot of Bulls talk, but right now <laughs> of the, the major teams in this city, the people that I'm around aren't really talking Cubs baseball. I know locally you're forced to do it every once in a while because of how big the fandom is, but I don't think Cubs fans want to be depressed, especially not on this podcast. So appreciate you, man. Thank you so much. All right, last one of the night. What we got, Chris? Jason, what's good, man? Mexican joker in the house. Uh, Quick question for you. Griselda. uh, Obviously, you know who's in it. Uh, For those that don't, uh, Benny the Butcher, West Side Gun, Conway the Machine. You need one to write you a verse. You need one to perform a verse for you. And you need one to go to a Bills or whatever type of football game. Who you picking and why? <laughs> also, shout out Freddie Gibbs, uh, aka Freddie Kane, <laughs> aka Fab Freddy, aka Big Boss Rabbit, <laughs> aka Alfredo. Tell him to drop the album, man. The streets need it. <sighs> streets need it now. All right, peace. My man, Mexican Joker, always hitting us up. Shout out to Mexican Joker and uh, happy Mexican Independence Day was the last Thursday or whatever. Oh, man. So. Chris, you're gonna to have to help me with this. No, no, no. No, no, no. This this is why you get paid the big bucks, my friend, no, to no, make the I tough gotta, decisions like this. I got I gotta remember though. So the, you need somebody to someone, write a verse, someone to write the verse. So perform the verse and someone to go to a Bills game with. All right. So this is like oh man. All right. So to to write the verse, I'm going with Conway. I think Conway the Machine is 
top five rappers going right now. Like, legit. To perform the verse, definitely going with Westside. Because Westside Gun is going to put his super-duper flair on it. You know, take you back to those only built for Cuban links days, but in the present-day form. Um, Part eight's coming out tonight. Yes, and yes. I, I still haven't digested, you know, the first part. No, I haven't either. I haven't gotten past Vogue cover. Twenty more songs tonight, coming, man. So. And he's he's claiming it's his last one. And my lady knows when I have Griselda or Westside Gun on in the car that it's going to be a different kind of ride. I'm looking forward to taking that ride tonight when H W H A drops. So, and of course, go to a Bills game. Like, low-key, I want to go to a Bills game with, with Westside because you're going to get to do all the ignorant shit that you would want to do at a Bills game but have rappers with. Like, having a rapper around you, it's like, oh, listen, I don't mean to be like this, but the rapper brought it out of me. You know what I'm saying? So, shout-out to Freddie Gibbs, by the way. I think he's still putting those finishing touches on the album, and I've heard six or seven songs. And, man, Freddie is, Freddie is out here on a championship season type of run with this album. So, yeah, man, and shout-out to Benny the Butcher. Like, I'd love to go. A, a Bills game with Benny the Butcher as well and I think he's one of the best rappers in the game I love the whole Griselda movement it's something that Chris and I I think it's like the last time Chris and I not only were outside but like the last time we kind of felt okay being outside was was a year and a half now ago two years ago now I mean, anyone was outside and uh you know it, it may have shut the whole world down that's how live that show was that night that's yes. how crazy it was yes and, and you know why it also shut the world down because there were no women in this concert uh if you have ever looked for a sausage convention <laughs> you don't even have to go to milwaukee you don't need bratwurst you don't need nothing like that shout out to to griselda but man oh man when you pull up to a to a griselda concert please believe your girl has nothing to worry about that night. Well, you know, maybe she does. Yeah, you'll, you you'll be able to stand there next to a guy from Norridge going boo 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 boo. <laughs> so I, I enjoyed it. It was a blast. It was an absolute blast. But yeah, shout out to Griselda and the whole uh, <laughs> and the whole Buffalo Bills Bills Mafia movement that they've kind of cultivated as well. I, I'd love to get those dudes on to talk about the Buffalo Bills and just you know Buffalo sports because they only got the Bills. All right. Speaking of good times, this was a good time. I appreciate you guys listening as always. Shout out to – hey, by the way, before we get up out of here, I think the Bears lose a close one to the Cleveland Browns. Uh, I think the Cleveland Browns defense, Joe Woods, is going to try to take some advantage of a rookie quarterback. And I'm also going to try to have hope for Matt Nagy trying to – not make his scheme the prettiest thing out there on the field and just winning a football game with running it and little play action, some bootlegs and getting getting fields out on the perimeter. But I believe the Bears will lose Justin Fields' first start. I hope they don't. I'm a Bears fan, but I believe they will lose. So uh, that's what I got for you for Bears and Browns as you're listening to this headed up to Sunday. And, of course, I'll be back Sunday after Bears-Browns with all the reaction to Justin Fields' first start. So make sure you call or text with your thoughts on anything on the voicemail line, 773 93103. Want to thank our guests on this pod. We had Kaylin Kaler. We also had Adam Kramer and Jim Miller. You know, we had three pretty damn good guests talking about some NFL and college football stuff. And of course, we celebrated the White Sox winning uh, their first division championship since 2008, where I was kicked out of a really, really raggedy ass bar uh, for celebrating while black. So, shout out to my producers, our guys. 
the, 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 the men that, that make sure that I stay on the air and sound like half an idiot half the time. Steve Cerruti and, of course, my main man, Chris Tannehill. So for the fellas, thank you so much for listening. As always, the Full Go Podcast is right here for you featuring Jason Goff. And I hate, <laughs> hate referring to myself in third person, but I got to get it drilled into your head. And, of course, on The Ringer and Spotify, as always, the gang. Until the next time, until Sunday, take care of each other and be safe. Thank you for listening to my daddy. It's the Full Go This episode is brought to you by UGG. Y'all know UGG is a brand that athletes wear all the time in the tunnel and on travel days. Well, I bet you think UGG season is only during the colder months of the year. Oh, contraire. You're wrong. You need to check out the latest spring drop from UGG. They have everything from sandals to clogs. I like the sandals. UGG has you covered for your next spring adventure. Shop the Golden Collection at UGG.com. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans at Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client.